Hello, and welcome to another episode from the Global Startup Movement, where every week we bring you conversations, insights, and innovation highlights for emerging startup ecosystems all around the world. I'm your host, Andrew Berkowitz, and thank you for tuning in. I'm really excited to be partnering with Multimedia Live to bring you this special installment of the show. Hope you enjoy. Thanks to Secure Report, presenting sponsor of the Global Startup Movement's podcast miniseries on a pulse check of the global startup ecosystem in the wake of the coronavirus. Visit secureport.com right now to check out their suite of intelligent immigration and civil aviation security solutions and services, including their epidemic control system, which has the capability of registering all travelers that have been exposed to the virus to help ensure its tracking and reduction in its transmission. This is an independent Global Startup Movement LLC production, and the opinions expressed by me, the host, and our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinion of our presenting sponsor, SecureReport. I'm Andrew Berkowitz, and my first guest is coming to us from Pakistan and is the CEO and co-founder of the country's largest homegrown food delivery app, Eat Mubarak. Hi, my name is Sair Ali and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Eat Mubarak. Eat Mubarak is a food delivery platform which enables restaurants for digital food ordering and delivery. And we work on a zero commission basis, which is a restaurant friendly model where restaurants only pay a monthly fixed subscription fee to enable their food delivery with us. Tell us a little bit about, I mean, what's outside of the whole startup world. I mean, tell me how this whole COVID thing is kind of played out in Pakistan. For the last, uh, I think our first case in Pakistan appeared in February towards the mid and end of Feb. And uh, for last 10 days, as we speak, uh, the last 10 days, we have seen a massive spike. What we are expecting is that the worst is yet to come. Uh, we have crossed 100,000 cases. We are a densely populated country with limited healthcare infrastructure and our healthcare infrastructure right now as we speak is under burden so yeah that's that's the situation right now i, I mean i think that's the case with a lot of emerging markets and that it really brings a light I, I would say the gap in the narrative you know i think startups tech and innovation is a very important way forward for these markets but you know like like, like pakistan there's so many other markets where you know we're talking about countries with maybe five ventilators and, you know, in the, in the tens of competent doctors for the entire country. And so it's really bringing to light, you know, a lot of the infrastructural challenges that, you know, I don't really feel like the, the same conversations or the same energy is being put into those areas as the whole startup world. Absolutely. I mean, uh, like the biggest question on the policy level has always been about the economy versus healthcare or economy versus saving lives. The population here, we do not have the liberty of having extensive lockdowns or having lockdowns for extensive periods because a lot of the population is reliant on on day-to-day wages and uh, so most businesses are affected. Uh, The welfare state uh, does not exist here. So it's, it's a bigger problem and everyone is suffering and in, in the sense that on multiple levels so from from the landowners to business owners to sme owners to to daily wagers um the the impact is massive uh, it's not something which is affecting a few and i think that's global even the kind of impact it is having all over the world it's it's massive 
And so give us some insight into how all this has affected your business. I mean, do you feel like ever since this started, uh, this has been kind of a good shift towards delivery apps and, and, and increasing food delivery in the country? Yeah, so when it started uh, and the lockdown started, so, so Pakistan is a big country. One of the cities, one of our major markets, like one of the cities, they completely shut down all the restaurants. So there was no delivery, no dine-in, no takeaway was allowed. So that was 40% of our market. So yes, our number went, numbers went down because of that. And generally, like people were more careful initially, the lockdown initial... Um, like the initial wave of layoffs, initial wave of salary cuts were there. So people were more reluctant. But then I think uh, after three weeks, uh, the numbers started picking up a bit. Um, but what we are seeing right now is in, in, in emerging markets, countries like Pakistan, food delivery is, is less of a necessity and more of a luxury. So like very similar to India, we, we are a nation which does, which, uh, does a lot of cooking. So our home... Uh, our households are geared towards cooking their own food. So I think when 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 there's a recession, so you everyone is going back and, and being more careful right now with their spending. And that's a behavior we are seeing. So generally dine-in restaurants, fine dine are already struggling. And like most of them have closed down because dine-in is closed. They were not geared towards delivery. So... The QSRs, which which includes these multinational chains, quick service restaurants, McDonald's, Pizza Hut, Subways, and uh, Burger King, etc. So they have fared really well in terms of their number in and outside of our platform, generally because like people had relatively more trust in their processes and their things. So now we have recovered our number. So for example, in the month of uh, May, we did more orders than we did in February. So there has been a spike, but it's it's a bit challenging rest so because there have been constant restrictions by the government in terms of timings. Uh, so initially restaurants were allowed to operate for five hours, but then, then seven hours, then different cities have different timings. So these small businesses, they're trying to cater and abide by those timings and adjusting their own operations. Uh, obviously, they're, they're not the most... Uh, sophisticated of the organizations so they struggle with that and that that affects uh, our entire process in terms of uh, their readiness and re it, it, it leads to more rejections and a and a more un unpredictable behavior by those restaurants and so do you feel like this is i mean do you feel like that is pretty common or that's exactly what you're going to see with delivery startups in in other emerging markets as well that are similar to pakistan Yes, um, and I think a very common trend is that a lot of startups tried grocery. Uh, a lot of startups are going into grocery. So we also did that uh, during those uh, during the period. We onboarded certain uh, local grocery stores and enabled them to sell online. So I think that trend is, is pretty uh, global. Similarly, food delivery in more developed markets, it, like the spike was huge because out of the total dine-in pie, at least 30 to 40% was definitely con converting into food delivery. But in Pakistan and other emerging markets and where like per capita income is, I would say, less than 13 to $1,400 per, per uh, person per GDP per capita, then I there I would say that it's, it's more of a luxury where people are eating out. So you don't see that spike 
in that food delivery, which which you would see in countries like perhaps Singapore or in in say Taipei, uh, where I happened to be when the COVID started. So that that's the difference in behavior I'm seeing. Not all emerging economies have been hit hard from the virus. Some in West Africa have had recent experience dealing with virus outbreaks in their country. The Ebola outbreak in West Africa was first reported in March 2014 and rapidly began to proliferate in Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Guinea. We're now going to head over to Sierra Leone to learn more about how the Ebola outbreak has prepared them for COVID-19. So my name is Jurgen Deskams. I've been working with Security Port for the last five years, and I worked all these years in Sierra Leone. So for the last four years, I've been working closely in contact with the government here to support them and to support the airport and the immigration department with the software that Security Port provides to screen travelers. When did you first arrive in Sierra Leone? In uh, June 2015. So at the end of this month, it's exactly five years. Ebola was still heavily going on. I remember coming in and uh, not being allowed to pass with my car because at that time just a village was put in quarantine. You know, everywhere where I went, it was very new for me. But everywhere where I went, I had to do a lot of hand washing. Everywhere my temperature was checked. It was fully going on when I entered the country. And so, how did Sierra Leone's experience with Ebola? How do you feel like that prepared it for COVID nineteen? Well. Despite the fact that that the virus is now actually very different, you know, I, I, I don't have any medical background, but they are not the same viruses. But all the countermeasurements that uh, are being put in place now to combat COVID-19 are the same as that were put in place uh, during the Ebola time. I'm thinking about quarantines, school closures, uh, safe burials. So the people in Sierra Leone knows the, know these measurements very well. What people outside of Sierra Leone or outside of West Africa are experiencing now and learning, Sierra Leoneans have already learned the hard way from the tragic situation in Sierra Leone not so long ago. For all of us here, it is fresh memory, and the families, communities, local and national governments uh, have been very sensitive, very proactive. To put it shortly, for us, when we find out that Corona was here, it was. The reaction was mostly like, "Okay, here we go again." To give you some other points, like false information that is being spread, this is happening here too. So there are really trust issues with the, with information. To give you an example, last week a local newspaper published an article on the arrest of Bill Gates for spreading the coronavirus around the world. So, and here in the country, countering such rumors it's really difficult. Luckily, during Ebola, the population has learned to turn to health workers and volunteers to get correct information. You have to know that it's not easy. Illiteracy is a challenge here, but the government has, you know, taken steps to ensure that everybody gets updated information. To give you an example, from time to time here in in Freetown, you can hear a car with big speakers drive by, informing the population about the dangers of the virus and the measurements that have been put in place. 
So yeah, most of these systems and networks uh, were still in place since Ebola and are capable of spreading the message about COVID-19 fast and widely. Um, so like the hand washing, and when I entered the country in, in 2015, frequent hand washing was already in place to prevent the spread of Ebola. So when, yeah, when we hear about Corona, it was actually a bit funny to see the buckets that were used during Ebola to wash our hands with chlorine water are all back in the street now. <laughs> Let's say over a, over a course of a few days, everything was back and people really have the discipline to use it. So here in Freetown, you will not be able to enter any building without first washing your hands, having your temperature checked and putting on a mask. So Jürgen, how do you think this changes the priority of ICT infrastructure in, in African countries? Because I feel like to date, a lot of ministers have been very apathetic when it comes to uh, seriously investing in their ICT infrastructure and opening access to internet to the entire population. Uh, so how do you think something like this is going to change that? If you look at what happened during the Ebola crisis, and I, uh, this was almost done when I came into the country, was... Uh, uh, the implementation of the mobile networks that was going much faster, I think because of the Ebola crisis. So now this, this infrastructure is still not at the standards as other countries around the world, but improvement has slowly and steadily started the, the digital revolution in Sierra Leone. So these mobile networks are not top, they just don't cover all areas in the country yet, especially not for internet access. This raises the bar for the IT developers and the engineers who have to handle these challenges with a lot of creativity. But with the new epidemic control system, the satellite connections would become available to cover the now unreachable uh, areas. So there's really a big improvement. Um, I've been lucky to be invited into the meetings of the COVID-19 IT support group. And I must say that I'm very encouraged with the steps that are being taken. Uh, Sierra Leone has taken the lead in the region to implement new technologies. The team leader of that team, uh, Honorable Dr. Senge, has come up with some really beautiful solutions, very well adapted to the local circumstances. Um, you have to know that Sierra Leone was the first country in the world to pilot the, the DHIS2 uh, system. This is District Health Information Software. It's a, it's a web-based health management information system. So the people who did the rollout for Sierra Leone also helped in other countries like the neighboring country um, Liberia. So all these countries now are far ahead of the pre-Ebola situation. And the people present at that time are today again part of the team. So it gives them now the flexibility to, to easily integrate with epidemic control systems uh, that we need so hardly to mitigate the impact of the, of the pandemic here. Um, I, say, I think it's really improving. Look, I'm, I'm living here for five years now. I'm, I'm married. My family-in-law is here. So I, I see uh, especially mobile phones, but also computers uh, are popping up everywhere. And uh, young people really put their mind to it. And I, I think it's better supported uh, by the government than it has ever been before. Our final guest today is Franco Goitia, who is the founder of Argentinian biotech startup Casper. Franco and his team started two years ago, originally working on the Zika virus, and are now developing a CRISPR-based platform for COVID-19 diagnostic testing. Let me start by 
introducing what CRISPR is and, and maybe how Casper is, is leveraging CRISPR for this diagnostics purpose. So CRISPR is, is basically found in nature as the defense mechanism that bacteria and archaea have against viruses. And the scientific community, uh, researchers in UC Berkeley Broad Institute back in 2012 discovered that this mechanism could be used as a biotechnology tool for gene editing and for the specific identification of DNA and RNA sequences. And from there was that this first application towards gene editing was described, in which these enzymes were used not only to identify, but also to kind of cut, edit, replace DNA sequences. And most recently, a lot of work has been done around the application of Cas enzymes and CRISPR systems for diagnostics. So we work with different research groups from South America that have access to the great biodiversity that, that the region brings. And now, since the beginning of, of this year, when COVID emerged, very focused on, on taking to, to market our COVID-19 kits based on, on CRISPR and, and, and our enzyme. Um, and, and recently having submitted to, to FDA for, for this kit that we've developed. I read online that originally Casper was actually working on the Zika virus and some other genetic testing. Can you give us, uh, I guess, some insight into that period when you were working on that virus and, and maybe some, some parallels in how the Buenos Aires ecosystem has had experience with reacting and putting down a virus? Since the very beginning, kind of the, the way we approached the technology and, and the possibilities that it brought in terms of accessibility to, for precision diagnostics is thinking of it as, as a platform. So not fully engaging with one specific infectious disease or one specific target, but you are doing validations for many targets in parallel, because that is kind of a key trait that the technology brings uh, in terms of its ease of reconfiguration towards the detection of, of, of new targets. Um, so during last year, at, at some point, we, we, we really advanced with tropical viruses, both Zika and, and Dengue, doing validations with hospitals and labs in, in, in Brazil, as well as in, in northern Argentina, with part of the, of the team traveling there in to, to, to those two places for, for validations with real clinical samples. Um, and having very good results that, that we published uh, in a paper, a paper that was recently published. Um, and obviously it's, it's a very big problem for um, these countries in, in South America of how they, they are able to, to handle and, and respond to infectious diseases such as these tropical viruses and, and kind of the, the, the setting is, is a very low resource setting that has a lot of limitations when you compare kind of that application with the, the one that you may face in, in, in the hospital of a capital city in Argentina or, or in, in some other country within, within Latin America. So, so, so yeah, kind of. The, the core value of, of accessibility that, that our technology brings uh, being very compatible to that. Um, and even though right now we're taking to market our, our, our COVID-19 kit, um, 
very quickly in, in the next months, we will also be kind of launching and, and commercializing in, in some countries around the world um, kits for other applications, which in, in, in many cases include tropical viruses. So, so, so yeah, we're, we're thinking of uh, Casper and of our, our product pipeline uh, with, with several uh, different kits for different targets in the coming months and years. I'm sure you're having Zoom calls with, you know, friends and employees back in Buenos Aires. So, I mean, can you, can you give us some insight into what's going on in the startup ecosystem back there? Like what sectors do you feel like this is allowing an expansion for? Because we're seeing a lot of different fintech apps, delivery apps actually growing, you know, growing their revenues during this period. So where, I guess, where do you see that the positivity in sectors that are expanding because of this? Yeah. So, so obviously like, Companies that have had their, their, their business model oriented towards a digital strategy, uh, or a digital economy from, from the very beginning, they, they are seeing a, a great expansion and increased adoption at rates that they've never seen before for, for, for their services or, or their products. Kind of the main company in, 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 within Latin America that is also kind of the most important tech company in, in, in Latin America is Mercado Libre. It's our way of, of e-commerce in, in, in Latin America, having a presence in all of the countries in the region and uh, a presence that when you compare that to Amazon's presence within the region, uh, Mercado Libre is much, much bigger. So this shift from retail to e-commerce uh, from society in general with, within Latin America. I, I think that that has accelerated a lot and it will continue to, to accelerate in, in the next months and, and, and years. Uh, and also, as you say, kind of online um, deliver. I mean, everything that, that has, every company that has thought their, their business model around an online strategy, I, I think that that they are set to to benefit from from the current complicated global global situation. Awesome. Well, Franco, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights, uh, and 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 best of luck. Sure. No, thank you for for having me in, in the podcast, Andrew. Thanks to Secure Report, presenting sponsor of the Global Startup Movement's podcast mini series on a pulse check the global startup ecosystem in the wake of the coronavirus. Visit secureport.com right now to check out Secureport's suite of intelligent immigration and civil aviation security solutions and services, including their epidemic control system, which has the capability of registering all travelers that have been exposed to the coronavirus to help ensure its tracking and reduction in its transmission. And be sure to tune back in next Tuesday when we dive into the part two of this podcast mini-series by hearing the investor perspective on the current state of the world startup ecosystems. 